Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Talking Fanfic, episode 209. Um, I'm going to do a short little intro here. Um, I've got an awesome interview with an author called Prince of Elsinore, also known as Elsie. Elsie writes mostly in Supernatural. You'll hear from them in just a minute. Uh, we talk about all kinds of things. We talk about uh, Wincest. We talk about Supernatural. We talk about writing from the id. We talk about the differences between writing fan fiction and writing original fiction. Elsie also has um, some original fiction that they work on. They don't um, connect those two parts of their, their fandom life with their in real life, but you can certainly tell because the quality of the writing is top tier. So I highly recommend you guys check out the show notes and just try Baton Rouge. And you know what? If you're not as much into um, the Wincest thing read December Sutter County and understand the undernetting because those are really more gencest, which we also talk about kind of the difference between that and wincest. Um, so some fantastic writing from this author. You're going to love it. Um, I also just wanted to uh, quickly say, if you've been following me on social media, you know that I will be at Planet Comic Con in April, Saturday, April 23rd, with my good buddy, Chaos Blue. You know her as the host of the Fanfic Maverick podcast. So we are working on a panel. It's going to be about an hour talk, um, and we're going to have clips from our podcast, um, and we're going to just talk about... Um, how fan fiction um, contributes to overall fandom and why we think it's important to hear from fan fiction authors and why it's important to talk about fan fiction and give a voice to authors. So I know a lot of you guys, um, you know, probably can't make it. We're scattered all around the country and the world here. So we will be recording the panel. I don't know how yet, but I will let you know. Um, hopefully we'll have a video, but we'll at least have audio um, I'm sure we'll have video actually. So if you can't be there, be with us there in spirit and watch, um, when we post the panel later, um, Cobra Kai people, I think Ralph Macchio is going to be there. I don't know that. I don't think I've seen that Billy or Marty are going to be there sadly, but I know that Ralph Macchio is doing autographs and signings. And I think he's also doing a panel just talking about Cobra Kai and Karate Kid as well. So there is that. Um, okay. I think that's all I got. Um, enjoy the interview with Elsie. I do apologize very quickly. Um, my audio is kind of shitty. It's not shitty. It's just not my usual quality. I did not realize that it was my webcam recording my audio and not my microphone. So that kind of sucks. Um, but Elsie sounds great. Um, there's also a couple trains, so that's super fun, but they're very brief and I don't think they'll distract you too much. So just a heads up there. So everybody enjoy. I hope you're having a great week. And um, this is nearing the end of our second season. I think I'm going to have one more episode, um, probably me and Laura talking, and then we'll head into, I got a couple interviews lined up for season three, which is going to be fun. Um, there'll be some cold flash interviews there. Um, so fans of CW's The Flash, you're going to love it. So stay tuned, everybody, and uh, thank you so much for listening.
welcome to Talk and Fanfic today. Um, pleased to be here with an author that I found their writing, well, I guess in 2021, we're in 2022 now, and was so excited to reach out. And um, I'm very pleased to have Prince of Elsinore, aka Elsie, here with me. Um, Elsie writes mostly in the supernatural fandom, and that's what we'll be talking about today. So, Elsie, welcome here, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for asking me. You know, as I mentioned before, it's a it's a big honor, especially to be here. You know, alongside some of the other amazing authors that you've interviewed. Yes, well, uh, I'm happy to have you here. And one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is that we just get to talk about fanfic, which I don't know where fanfic is placed in your everyday life, but I don't get to do that often, except maybe with my sister. So um, that's half the point anyways, just to have fun and talk about this thing that we don't get to talk about that much. Definitely. Yeah, that's definitely true for me. I have like the one real life friend that I you know, nerd out about this stuff with, but not many other outlets. <laughs> Yes. Well, we've got lots of time today for that. So, well, I figure a good place to start is always just your early writing memories, as well as your early reading memories, even before fan fiction. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that, like how you started in reading and then writing? Yeah. Um, so weirdly enough, uh, you know, because now I'm a writer, you know, like in, in real life to, I mean, not that fan fiction writing isn't like any part of real life, but you know, when I'm not writing fan fiction, I'm writing original stuff. Um, but for someone who now does pretty much writing all the time, uh, I did not like start out real fast with that stuff. I was sort of reluctant to pick up books when I was little. <laughs> um yeah, apparently, because I was too much of a perfectionist, I just wanted to be able to read immediately. And it was too difficult. <laughs> um, but eventually, you know, I got the hang of it. And then I was a pretty voracious reader when I was little. I, you know, I think even um, maybe before I'd really started reading a lot, I loved writing, not necessarily like stories at first. I think my earliest writing memories are um, things that would be like part of make-believe games or something. Like I'd write down spells or something I was going to cast on the neighbor or their cat or something, you know, or like I'd be like Harriet the Spy, like in my backyard, like peering on the neighbors and like writing down like what made them suspicious or little like rhymes <laughs> and, and things I'd make up like that. So there was always like part of a game I was playing, you know, but eventually that like turned into more serious endeavors in elementary school as a big fantasy nerd. And, you know, one of the first stories I remember writing actually would count as fan fiction, although I didn't know what that was at the time. There was like a, a computer game that I was really obsessed with. It was Heroes of Might and Magic 3. I don't know if anyone out there listening might have played that, but it was a big phase for me. And I was obsessed with like one of the creatures in the game they were called naga queens so i wrote a story about like a teenage naga queen and what it was like being Amazing. in the like warrior school and whatever you know and she had like had a crush and went i don't know out with friends i wrote like two chapters and abandoned it but that was my first <laughs> one of my first like fiction writing memories and it happened to be fan fiction i wrote a lot of other like very derivative sort of fantasy stuff that was like thinly veiled you know, I'm just try, trying to write the next Lord of the Rings, basically. Yeah. Um, that was that was pretty much my writing when I was little uh, until, man, I don't know. I guess I, I was I was writing like poetry and some fiction in high school. Um, 
tried out a little bit of like what you might call more like lit fic, literary fiction, but really didn't get seriously back into writing until in undergrad when I uh, like really got into fan fiction, actually. Yeah. How did you make that leap in college to discovering fan fiction? Oh, boy. So I had discovered fandom before, like sort of like went back in my Lord of the Rings phase. I was on, uh, what was it, like onering.net a lot or whatever. Yeah. You know, I found fan fiction that way. But it was mostly just like crack, basically. Um, and I was never seriously into it until a friend of mine that, yeah, the, my <laughs> real life friend who I can actually like talk to about all this nerdy stuff. Um, she got me into... Uh, I feel like this fandom has such a reputation, but um, my first big fandom was Hitalia, which is the the anime. Um, oh, cool! That, I don't know. Ha- have Have you heard of it? I actually have not. I am woefully undereducated on like an- anime manga stuff. No, that that's that's great. Less uh, preconceived notions coming with that one. Then. <laughs> <laughs> if you know, you know. Um, although I will say, you know, I, I met lovely people in that fandom and I'm very grateful to them still um that was that was basically my first big fandom and um I pretty quickly became interested in the parents oh so okay the basic thing with with Hitalia was it was like it's all about um personified countries and it's like telling history that way maybe you've heard of it yeah it's 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 interesting is a word for it um (laughs) But so, so the pairing that I was interested in was Germany and Prussia, but I mostly wrote human AUs. Um, so they were named Ludwig and Gilbert and, um, and they were brothers. So that was my first brothership where I like discovered it was like, oh, this is forbidden. I can't believe people ship this. Is this okay? <laughs> and then I fell into it really hard and found awesome other writers and community in the, the German cest niche of fandom. Was it like a fairly big fandom or a big ship? Were other people personifying these characters? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was it's a it was a huge fandom. And um I think human AUs were like a really big part of it too. I mean it was an interesting fandom to get started in because it's really different it was like a really different way of engaging with characters than say I do with like Sam and Dean. Right. Um, because with, with Hitalia, it's like canon is just one big joke and like, like, you know, it's totally not serious. It's, it's all like, it's, that's the crack stuff, right. You know, like yeah, the canon right. is like all these crack jokes. So people like me, we were like taking these sort of stereotype ridden, you know, tropey skeletons of characters and like, putting all this like flesh and muscle and stuff on them and making them into real personalities extrapolated from these sort of wild exaggerations that we got in canon. Um, And it was interesting how like there was sort of some consensus about it too. Like we'd come together as a community and like everyone just had a, had a sense in their heads of like in their heads of, of who these characters were. And you could just sort of insert them into any sort of everyday situation that you wanted. Yeah, that's so cool. Like a hive mind of fandom. Yeah, yeah, it really was in a weird way. Yeah, that sort of reminds me of, um, for instance, a fandom like South Park, which is so silly, but I've seen some good authors do amazing stuff by like grounding those characters in a more realistic version of that world. So um, I always think fan fiction is like, that's such a unique capability of 
the craft of fan fiction to take something silly that we know as canon and then just like to ground it and make it human and compelling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I felt like that was sort of what got me actually started writing fan fiction at all because when I first discovered it, I mean, I was, I was fascinated by the fact that people were writing this stuff at all. You know, like I said, especially with this um, ship of two brothers, you know, and one thing that I kept on sort of grappling with though, I guess, was that a lot of this fan fiction, even when they were like human AUs, it wasn't really dealing with that fact. It was like, you know, the fact that this is like an incest ship. And so I wanted to to write a story with them as, you know, human characters that actually sort of looked at like, wait, like how would two brothers, if they're just like normal, you know, I don't know, guys going to college or something, you know, that, so that was the AU that I wrote. It was like a college AU. <laughs> like how would they end up in this relationship? And like, what would that do to them? And so it was this like whole really like melodramatic, long, still unfinished story about like the tangled, sordid love affair of <laughs> these two brothers. I'm sure that helps you prepare for what you're doing now in the supernatural fandom. In some ways, maybe. Um, I feel like my approach is really, it's just really different now though. It's, it's changed so much. Um, and part of that is like the different way of engaging with canon where like now I don't really have much interest in writing an AU Sam and Dean, you know, I want the world that they come in and, um, it is, it, it is interesting. Cause like, I, I'm definitely drawn to, to problematic ships. Like I'm, I'm always sort of yeah. interested in the stories that they can tell because, you know, I want, you know, at least half of my, my ships, I feel like are fall into that category of like, a I don't know, you, you can't imagine them crossing that line in canon, you know, but what extreme circumstances might force them across that line. And you know, shipping them for me isn't, isn't like saying like, oh, I think they'd be great together. It, often it's like a, oh my God, wouldn't that be horrible if they slept together? <laughs> like I would just like mess up so many things. And then like, let's play with that. Like the, let's look at the fallout, the psychological repercussions of like crossing a line that they shouldn't have. That's something like I am really interested in with ships and with fiction, but with Sam and Dean, I don't know, they, they're sort of like, the ultimate ship because I feel like they can sort of absorb all these different things that people want to throw at them and like the authors you know want to see them as like they can be depending like how you set up the story it, it can be sort of like a, an angsty like oh my god like how how will this crossing this physical line change our relationship as as brothers you know and you can make it all about that but you can also sort of do something completely opposite where it's like you know they're already in canon so messed up and entangled together that does adding a physical element on top of that, does that really change anything? Like maybe not. Um, so like you can deal with that question with them in so many different ways. And I feel like I definitely have not exhausted that at all with them yet. Like so far, <laughs> I'm, uh, like in, at least in, in the, the fix that you read of mine, they're more on the, the other end of the spectrum, I think where it's like, the sleeping together itself, like, is not really what the story's about. You know, it's not like the big, heavy question. You know, it's there's other stuff going on here, and maybe sleeping together is like incidental to that, or you know, it's not even like some some of the fics that I've written that are some of my favorites are not even Wincest technically, like they're Gencest. You know, the genre category, and they're sort of exploring that tangled relationship even without that physicalized element. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love all of that. I was going to ask you about how you got into Supernatural, the show, and then Phantom. So let's do a little bit about that. And then I feel like all of this talk is perfect to dive into Baton Rouge. Um, so we'll, we'll do that next. But yeah, just um, how did you discover the show and um, the fandom? Okay, actually, I think I had read Wincest fan fiction before I ever watched the show because like I knew that there was this big fandom out there where there was a huge brother pairing like that was that was one of the main things I don't know I think I put off watching it I sort of knew that it would probably suck me in and so I was putting it off um but I there was you know there was so much fan fiction out there about Sam and Dean and like I knew now that I liked this type of ship, like I had some other sort of sibling ships and things like that. And so I was like, well, what's, what's up with the Sam and Dean. And so I read uh, some fan fiction about them before I even had watched the show, which is not something that I usually do at all. Were you, were you on AO3 at that point or was that fanfic.net? I think that was on AO3 because I got started on uh, fanfic.net and that I think for a long time, maybe still, I don't know, um, was like the big platform for anime and manga fandoms, I think. Mm -hmm. And AO3 was gaining steam for other fandoms. And I don't think I had like an account on it or anything yet, but that was where I was finding some of the other like fanfic that I wanted to read. You know, they had, they had the, the good tag system. So I was looking on there for some things. Yeah. Eventually though, I did start watching it. I think I came to the show when it was in its seventh season. And so I'd caught up with the show when the eighth season was starting and more or less watched season eight, like as it aired. Were, were you watching on, on TV like weekly or did you have like, was it on streaming back then? Um, I was, I was not watching it on TV. I'm pretty sure I was watching it illegally because yeah. I, it was not on Netflix yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like abroad and, uh, Netflix, what didn't exist there anyway. I don't know. Um, so yeah, for a while it was the, the like crappy streaming quality. <laughs> yeah, totally. But, but you were able to kind of binge it or watch whatever had aired at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, cool. yeah. I don't remember how I did at, at first, but, um, so then uh, I think I I think I lost it somewhere in season nine. I stopped watching, just sort of lost interest. And I always got worried when the brothers were fighting. That was always like stressful for me. So, so oh, I, yeah. like, I just want them to be married. It's, I know. Um, so uh, yeah, I, the, sh the show lost me for a little while. And it was just one of those things I sort of came back to every once in a while and be like, oh, I you know, feel like binging something sort of mindless. Let's see what I've missed on Supernatural the past year or two. Um, so I sort of fell in and out of it like that. And um, I sort of dipped my toe into reading fic for it. But you know what? I had a, a sort of a weird experience at first with um, with the ship, Sam Dean, um, that I could always sort of imagine it like, like in my head, you know, like they were totally end game, you know, but anytime I imagined it, it sort of had to be like a, a post canon thing for me because I just couldn't really quite mesh it with my watching experience of the show. Yeah. To me, they were like always right up against that line, like just about to step over. It was just always just something holding them back sort of, you know? Um, and so I think for, 
it was also difficult to get into fan fiction for them as well because a lot of it was sort of asking me to buy into the idea of them being in a relationship too easily for me at that at that time you know in my viewing experience you know and my, some of it might also be the quality of fan fiction I was reading I don't remember what authors I was reading back then really um yeah. but it didn't quite satisfy me or like convince me of the ship 100 percent uh with one notable exception i do remember reading um some of uh killa b's uh early like season two fic uh fanfics and um i remember like reading one of them i had my first sort of aha moment for the ship i was like oh okay this actually feels like them yeah having this conversation and like doing this like i can i can buy into this um, and it's probably no no coincidence that it was like a sort of a more bleak uh, look at the ship since it was like an early seasons fic. It was sort of like a we can't do this sort of like ambiguous ending point for them. Yeah, that, that was another problem. Like the hits keep on coming in Supernatural, and it's like so you give them a happy ending in the fic, like it immediately gets jost, you know, by the show, like keeps going, <laughs> it keeps happening. So they can't have a happy ending. Right. Yeah. But that was, so that was my early um, experience with, with the fandom. And I had more or less fallen out of it until season 15, you know, I knew the show was ending. So I uh, watched the first half of 15 and then, pretty much for the first time ever, like actually watched the second half of 15 more or less live, like as soon as it came out on the CW website. And so I watched the finale pretty much live. And I'd, so I'd been getting a little bit more back into like fan fiction at that point. And um, on Tumblr, I mean, anyone who was around will remember the whole like Castiel confession scene and the meltdown yeah. that Tumblr had about that. And that was sort of what pulled me back in, I think, was like, first, I was just posting memes about it and like jokes, because like, I couldn't even believe that this was happening. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I found it pretty funny. Um, and then that somehow turned into non-ironically posting about Supernatural. And uh, yeah, the, the finale honestly really, really grabbed me. You know, I don't think that I would be here like, you know, this invested today if it weren't for that finale because, you know, it gutted me. I like, Dean was my favorite character and, you know, seeing him die, like really made me realize I still cared. <laughs> um, still cared a lot. And, uh, you know, that sort of like tragedy of them being parted for so long made me care about the relationship again. Um, yeah. And I'm glad, you know, I'm really glad that they actually have like a happy ending, you know, they're reunited for eternity and all of that. But um, I think the bittersweet part of that ending, like the, the sad part was what got me really reinvested because it's like when, when something's sad, you know, your brain, you like, you want to turn it over and over and over to like try to like squeeze the meaning out of it and squeeze some comfort out of it and yes. the finale sort of forced me to do that with it um so i i just started like thinking about the characters a lot more posting a bunch of um meta stuff on and it was all on tumblr at first um but tumblr certainly has its uh problems as a fandom platform yeah um, <laughs> And I definitely got discouraged by fandom discourse a few times, but um, happily found fandom home with a, a Discord server that was pretty 
pretty small and like a place where, uh, you know, real discussions can happen. And with like-minded enough people that like we, you know, we're not watching totally different shows, you know, because sometimes you can talk to another fan and it's like they're actually watching a completely different show from you. <laughs> so there's enough like baseline agreement there that, you know, it, it works. And that's sort of what's kept me really invested because like you know when you're around other people who have given the show as much thought as some of those other fans have um they keep on bringing things to you to consider and to look at in new lights and i've learned a lot because of all those folks that i've been talking with um and reading a lot of fan fiction like some of these people really really know their fan fiction history when it comes to supernatural so just like never run out of recommendations of things to read and so I just feel like it's been an amazing learning curve sort of and, and a great privilege to like be uh, this steeped in in such a history fandom with like so many, so many big names and, and so many benchmarks and everything with this fandom. Yeah, it it is crazy to think about um, that the show's been going on, went on for 15 years. And like when I got into Smallville, I, and that was a 10 year show, although most of the I was into Clark Lex and most of that are fans who watched maybe the first four seasons and then Clark and Lex become enemies. And most people just sort of stopped watching, but that fandom maybe had like seven or 8,000 Clark Lex stories that made it onto AO3. There are a bunch lost um, probably between kind of like live journal and AO3 becoming a thing and weren't mm-hmm. ported on but supernatural. I haven't even run the numbers with like just Wincest. I mean, obviously Destiel became this whole other huge thing but yeah, it's such a storied fandom. And that's um, having you say that makes me want to like really dig into because I was I watched the first five seasons of the show. I'm kind of the opposite, like back in maybe 2009 or 10. I just found the DVDs, watched the first five seasons and then just kind of fell off. I just watched that first mm-hmm. arc. and But somehow I had found Candle Beck. And I know that's not who that you've read. And those stories just kind of like got me. That's kind of like the singular author that got me to, I mean, I could see it in the show, but like really ship them like that kind of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. dark, haunting, um, uh, compelling codependency that that's an author. I remember that I was like, holy shit. Like, and, and there was, I think less, I wasn't into fandom as much, so I didn't see as much discourse. So the whole like, oh, it's problematic or it's what, you know, it's not a problem or that sort of like <laughs> back and forth. I didn't really see like you do now. Mm. But anyway, I don't know where I was going with that um, other than like, yeah, that's such an incredibly huge fandom with now just 15 years of canon, not to mention all the content we're going to keep on getting even after the show. So, so yeah, really cool. I, I just need to hear how you got into that. Um so I figure we'll talk first about Baton Rouge, which is the first story of yours that I encountered. And I just, I was so happy to encounter it sort of by chance because I follow Rivka T, which is a author that we both admire on Tumblr. And she had shared this fic on her Tumblr. And I just saw the description and the title and I was like, ooh, okay, first of all, Rivka T likes it. So solid recommendation. Um <laughs> And then just something about the, I think the description of the summary kind of pulled me in. And Wincest is always a ship for whatever reason. It's like a comfort ship or it's a ship I always, I'm not always into, but I always fall back on if I see something that kind of piques my interest. 
So um, I just kind of dove in and was, I don't know, I hadn't been looking at it. Not that there's not good Wences all the time, but I just, it was such a pleasure to just randomly pick this story. And then it's like, oh, fuck, this is awesome. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So I love this story. So yes, it's called Baton Rouge. It's a one shot. It's about 7,000 words. Um, can you tell me, we'll, we'll dig into this, but can you tell me a little bit about um, just like the idea for this story or what you remember kind of about the initial like writing it? Yeah. Um, so first of all, this was written actually at an interesting point in my fandom engagement. You know, I was really, I was really in it for a while and started writing supernatural fanfic and then actually took like a little hiatus. I think I like burned myself out on the show and on fandom for a while. Um, happens. Yeah, it definitely happens. But then I got pulled back in sometime in the last, last fall. And I saw that Nigel TDE, um, also known as Nige, who's a wonderful writer, was um, organizing this this event, um, like a challenge, a fic writing challenge called the Wanted Man Challenge, which is what that, that fic is a part of. So I signed up to write for that. And the, the idea of it is like to, to write a fic for um, all the lyrics of Johnny Cash's Wanted Man. So that's oh. why it's Baton Rouge. Um, there are all these like place names in the, the titles of the, the fix for the challenge. So I'd signed up for Baton Rouge because um, I'm, I'm a little familiar with the area geographically. Um, and I just wanted to like dig into that sort of, you know, local culture and color and feel. But the idea for the story itself. So I feel like I'm constantly uh, daydreaming up, you know, fix scenarios and things like that. And I when I remember to, I try to write them down in an ever expanding word doc that just has like all of my word vomit fic ideas in there. So sometimes when I'm um, when I like get an idea for something specific I want to write, I'll also go to the doc for inspiration and just like see like, oh, what can I, you know, take from here and like throw together with this idea to maybe make a fic. And um, <laughs> funnily enough. The first thing that popped out that ended up becoming Baton Rouge was just purely the, the smut part of it. Like, I was like, oh, like hand jobs in the bathroom. Yeah, I'm going to write a fic about that. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so that was the first thing, <laughs> the first plot point that I decided on. And then I was like, oh, like, let's set it in a hurricane um, because that's something that happens down there. And I wanted them to go to New Orleans because it's more interesting than Baton Rouge. Sorry, Baton Rouge. Um, <laughs> and yep. so, you know, then I just sort of spun up the the case part to go with that. And yeah, and, and you know, and I knew I wanted to write something that was post-1519. Like this has become like this in post the episode Inherit the Earth, which is the second to last episode, because um, there's like a nice time gap uh, between that last episode and then the finale it's you know an ambiguous time gap i like to say like five years of domestic bliss um and i think that's become like one of my favorite time points in canon to play around with because it's sort of like you know the way i was always thinking of them was like it's this sort of deferred thing that gets pushed off and pushed off you know them getting getting together like actually having a relationship um was something i could only see at the end of the line so 
this is finally like that sandbox where you can sort of imagine stuff finally settling, finally happening because they don't have like, they don't have to save the world anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. But I was, I was interested in sort of like the emotional space there too. Uh, so I'd actually, I'd just read um, the Elko County adventure by Kendall oh. Beck, which is one of my favorite Kendall Beck pieces. And my favorite too. Yeah. It's so good. It's just so good. Um, but I had that, that Sam and Dean in, in my head and, you know, that fic does something really well where it's like, there's the, the pressures that, that Sam and Dean are dealing with are sort of always in the background. It's like, there's this tension between them because there's, there are things unsaid that they're worried about and it creates this, this friction between them as they're going through this case. And it sort of finally comes to a head at the end. Um, but I, I just really liked that sort of setup of like Sam, like something's up with Sam, like something is on his mind. Dean is feeling insecure because uh, Sam's like all clammed up, you know, won't, won't talk to him. And there's this friction between them. And Dean, you know, being Dean is like freaking out about like what's what's brought this on. I just figured that was a really nice sort of classic character dynamic to have in this post 1519 space where it's like, well, well, shit, like, you know, if it's not God messing with us anymore or whatever, like, like, what is it? Is it, is it us? Like, you know, does this mean our relationship isn't what I thought it was? I think that space is all about them establishing really who they are to each other. Like there are no more pretenses, you know, there's no more like big cosmic reason for them to, to stick together yeah. So it's about like what they choose for themselves at that point, you know? Yeah. So that's what I wanted to, to dig into. You know? Yeah. I was just thinking that like, yeah, it's interesting that Kendall Beck was writing back in 2000. Well, she, she wrote for a few years, but like between probably like 2005 and 2011, um, which was really probably just like the Kripke arc, like the first five seasons. And I feel like that's such a vivid characterization and yeah, your your characterization of Sam and Dean here, I feel like it's just as punchy and vivid, but it also meshes really well, like you said, with that season 15 time and place where they've kind of gotten to a place post-Chuck's influence, um, and they're still sort of dealing with the same tension that could be, you could see, like, drawing out over that time. So um, that's super cool. Well, if you don't mind, I would, I would actually just like to read like the first paragraph here. Sure. Because it really, it's super punchy. Um, it kind of gives you a sense of your style and where the guys are at. And we don't have to walk through all of this thing. But um, after that, I do kind of want to talk about, I think it works really well with sort of the A plot and sort of the B plot of like the action happening with what they're there for. And then, as you said, like all this emotional stuff kind of under under the hood there. So um, I'll just read this real fast. So just sit back for a second, enjoy your words, which are so wonderful. Um, and I'll see if I can get through this without sounding dumb. Storms stir shit up like dogs and old war wounds. Spirits get restless when the pressure drops. Then the wind kicks up and makes it worse. Bad things move in with bad weather. They ride in on the water. Torrential downpours are nasty. Flooding is worse. Occultists and root workers understand that better than most hunters, and Dean respects them for it. Some of them go in for more superstition than he can stomach, but at least when it comes to hurricanes, they know salt and goober dust are an essential part of battening down the hatches. 
So it's just, it's a great opening. Um, and I think it also, it, it situates you, well, you find out in the second paragraph there where they are, um, which is on I-10, bound for New Orleans. And it starts to establish um, that setting and the circumstance of being in the middle of a hurricane, which becomes this whole, I feel like, metaphor where this A and kind of B plot come together, which is why are Sam and Dean in town? What are they doing? Well, you find out they're bringing some artifacts to this um, father-daughter that are in New Orleans, and they're they're occultists, so they like know about ghosts and all that stuff. And as you said, you see Sam and Dean are not in a great place. They're bickering. Sam Sam is there's this great description you have of Sam being a rustle of discontent. I think in the passenger seat, which I thought was such a great description <laughs> of Sam, and it's the perfect kind of like. Just like Sam is wonderful. I was actually probably, I don't know if I'm more of a Sam girl or Dean girl. I, I love them both, but I love Sam. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I identify with Sam maybe in some more ways, um, but he can be so bitchy and so moody. And it's like the <laughs> perfect, like bitchy, moody Sam. And Dean's mood is always, it always just hinges upon where Sam is at emotionally, which is like, obviously goes with the whole like emotionally codependent, dynamic they have going mm-hmm. on but they're in the car they're <laughs> headed to new orleans dean's stressed because a baby ba- like what's going to happen to baby in the storm so there's already this tension where he wants to get out of town as soon as possible and sam wants to finish the job in the middle of a hurricane so it's just not not the best situation for them yeah and then they and then so you're you're kind of off on this plot where they go to see uh mr Robichaud and his daughter Aaliyah. And she and her dad, they're they are like perfect OCs. They're so well sort of described and vivid. And I think they would fit right into an episode of Supernatural. Anyway, Sam and Dean end up sort of helping them out. There's, there's this whole back and forth. Or, or, the tension just stays um, through. And then they end up helping uh, the Robichos, like get rid of these ghosts that have been stirred up by the storm. Just, you have to read it, but Robichaux kind of mentions like specifically – in New Orleans, like you're below sea level. So you're just sitting on top of bones and graveyards. And so it's particularly near the surface that all of this, like, I don't know, ghosts and bones and kind of you're like, he says, um, we're showering in our ancestors here, which is such a cool, creepy image. Um, and Sam and Dean, anyway, stick around and help them perform this ritual. And uh, Dean gets kind of injured, but that's, and that kind of closes out the, I would, what I would, I guess I would call the action or the ape plot, but of course the emotional and the literal storm is not over. It's still building. And then they drive on and find a, a motel in Baton Rouge. Um, and I just feel like that kind of imagery of the metaphor of the storm works really well with what happens at the motel and kind of the aftermath of that. Um, did you did that seem kind of natural putting those two sort of plot the the kind of the action and the emotional beats of the story together because it feels very crafted to me it, it works really well um yeah I feel like it happened pretty naturally um I mean I feel like it's a common fixed structure and it almost like mirrors what the show does so often right which is like the action happens and then you get the heart to heart the Mm -hmm. impala at the end you know like 
action and then emotion. And that's sort of the the natural flow of it. But of course, you know, in the fan fiction, we expand that emotional part to like be most of the story. And I actually, I didn't even really in, write uh, set out intending to write a, a case fic. It just sort of like I realized that it needed it to sort of let these things stew and and let something actually be a catalyst to to opening it up um and and i like that sort of writing where there's something pressing that the characters have to deal with but they're then you get chance for subtext to to rise up you know underneath um it's there are all these pressures sort of pushing at them from from underneath while they they have to deal with these things on the surface and um so I really, I really enjoyed writing that section and letting those things sort of seep up here and there. But then it was like, okay, but then they have to get to the motel. They have to get to the, the bathroom scene. Yes. <laughs> um, so the, the structure was, was sort of there from the start. Um, I would say that a lot of how elegantly it turned out is thanks to my wonderful beta. <laughs> um, this is actually the, the first that I ever used a beta on. Um, and I, when I had my rough draft, I, I knew that it needed a beta. Um, like I, I could tell there was some stuff that you know, wasn't quite working the way I wanted it to. Um, so uh, Nige, who I mentioned already, uh, graciously agreed to, to beta the fic for me. And um, she's the one who sort of pointed out like, okay, um, you've got like the relationship question that is asked by the first half gets answered by the second half. Yeah. And that, that's sort of like the, the emotional arc of it. Right. And wouldn't it be nice if that were paralleled by the, like a, a more concrete question, like a, some sort of more symbolic little disagreement or something. And so that's when I, um, like on that comment, I went back and, and retooled the section where they're driving through the storm after they've, they've been to Mr. Robichaud's house. And um, there's the disagreement about where they are. Like, Sam's like, we're already in Baton Rouge. And, and Dean's like, no, like I know what Baton Rouge looks like. That whole exchange um, that then sort of comes back at the very end where, where Dean is like, but you're right, we are in Baton Rouge. Um, and that's sort of like symbolically closing out like, okay, he knows where he is also in his relationship with Sam, like that has been settled. Um, so yeah, because I had a really insightful and, uh, you know, a good writer um, for a beta, <laughs> it, it all sort of came together much better than I would have otherwise. Yeah, it's cool when you get a good beta. Sometimes you've just been in the trenches too much and maybe you had that vision but it's it's just difficult to see i think when you've been staring at yeah. your own words for so long and to get a pair of fresh eyes be like oh i i see what needs to happen here like it's there but it's not quite there and right can nudge you in the right direction it, it also happened with um sam and sam's voice um it's funny you said like moody bitchy earlier and that's so true it's my favorite sam to write yeah. he's being sassy sam i love it so much um but, you know, I just had read Elko County Adventure, which is a younger Sam and Dean. And I think at first it's like almost like I had the Candlebeck Sam and Dean in my head too much. And it's like I could tell, you know, I could tell like 
Sam doesn't sound season 15 enough. Like I still have this like younger, bitchier Sam in my head. <laughs> and so Nige was able to like talk me through like, okay, like maybe you soften this one a little bit. Here's how we can make him sound a little bit more mature. Cause I, like I knew that he wasn't where he needed to be. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was very helpful on many levels. Yeah, that's a good point that like, yeah, Sam right out of, co- I think Elko County is, yeah, it's, I mean, it's the first five seasons. So Sam is sort of just, you know, out of Stanford and he's resentful of being there and not, mm-hmm. not settled into the lifestyle as, you know, like he would be in season 15. So right, um, right. it's the same Sam, but smooths out some edges a little bit, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That He totally does. He changes so much. I feel like his voice as a character changes a lot over the seasons he's so complex and so so wonderful to write for that reason um i feel like yeah there, there's like more variety in his voice um depending where in time you set it than say dean who i mean definitely goes through changes but like the texture more or less stays the same like like you if you get the sam voice wrong it immediately like throws off the the whole feel of the fic depending on where you've set it you know because it's so much like easier to pinpoint a good sam voice of like where exactly in canon this this might be or where it might fit um and like it's also harder to capture than if it's like i really want this specific moment and you know sam is sort of at this stage and dean you know he absolutely goes through changes as well but i think you know that his the texture stays more or less the same or is Sam like really changes his sort of outward presentation to the world so much as well. Um, even though like he, he essentially, I think, you know, at his core, like he's a very consistent guy. Um, but the sort of the way he engages with the outer world, I think changes a lot over time. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of that is probably just like Dean's comfort with the lifestyle being pretty consistent and like all he needs is his car and his brother um, but Sam really has to like make peace with the fact that he's not going to be living a normal life and then growing into that and probably a bunch of other canon stuff too. But yeah, that's a good point yeah. about Sam sort of where he's at being a more specific marker in time to where, where they're at in the show. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe we can talk a little bit specifically about, um, we, we've talked about sort of Wincest already, but, um, I feel like this fic of the three that we'll talk about is the only sort of like explicitly Wincest fic. Mm-hmm. And um, not to veer too off topic from the, the story itself, but um, I think this does a great job of being Wincest and being um, a very supernatural feel. Like it's very much settled in that world as opposed to being like a coffee shop AU. Or even I feel like some people find Wincest compelling, but then that are so uncomfortable with it that they end up doing like just hopping over to RPF or something like that. And just doing like a J square, Jared and Jensen. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the compelling factor of this ship is that they are brothers and they are a family. And it's that intersection between brotherhood and platonic familial affection. And mm-hmm. then sort of the sexual romantic element that sort of intensifies it and makes it this weird, twisted, unique thing. Because is there anything that you would, um, kind of elaborate on that as far as like Wincess being the family part being integral as opposed to like RPF or AU or whatever. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for me, when I'm reading um, fan fiction, like they, they need to sound like brothers before anything else. Like if they're not 
acting like brothers immediately I've sort of lost some interest and I mean they're not going to sound like them like they they are brothers and like they're not average brothers that's for that's for sure you know but it's interesting um, sometimes like uh like on on um the Winces discord we sort of talk about like sliders with with fan fiction like you can um you know push the sliders to the maximum on the angst and or you can push it you know, up a little bit on the fluff and down a little on this or that, you know, or you can do that with their personalities too. Like which, what tone and what genre are we trying to, to write in here? Specifically with like the ship, I feel like you can also, there's like a slider for like the incest problem, you know, like how much is that yeah. going to be like a, a sort of an issue in the story, right? Um, and that's sort of like what I was talking about earlier too. It's like you, you can sort of raise and lower that with them because they are sort of like such weird brothers um and it's been interesting an interesting journey for me with with wincest as a ship specifically because um i used to really only like i'm sorry there's like a train going by i don't know if that you can hear that yeah i can kind of hear that in the background if it's if it's better just like hold off a second we can definitely do that and hopefully that will stop it's really <laughs> I don't, they are very long trains they are uh i live very near the tracks um does does that right. happen like several times a day like oh yeah yeah all the time i've just sort of like learned to block it out so i didn't even notice it at first but um <laughs> all right i feel it sounds more in the distance now so i'll try to remember where i was um Oh yeah. Okay. So uh, my journey with Wincest fan fiction has been, um, you know, since I am like attracted to problematic ships, I sort of, you know, always used to want the stories to be about that aspect of the relationship. And I think when I came into Wincest, I was looking for fics that were more like that, like digging into like the problem of them, them being together, you know, or seeing it as a problem or, or like an obstacle to overcome and I think now I've, you know, read enough, I guess, that I can appreciate fix that don't necessarily do that. Like that maybe they posit that that barrier is not such a barrier for them, you know, because like they're, they're already like this amount of crazy. So maybe it's not, that's not going to be like the central part of the story. And I can appreciate a story where, that, you know, has a bunch of other plot elements and character elements moving and maybe is, is more about that and about, um, I don't know, what a, some other emotional element and the the incest is like incidental or it's like a part of how they get to where they're going, but it's not yeah. the point maybe. Um, so I can, I can appreciate fix like that now. However, I do think that like, there's still a part of me that holds on to that idea that, you know, when, I don't know, you have a relationship as crazy and intense as theirs, um, and it's all based on the idea of being brothers, that that brotherhood is um, something that they would probably hold really sacred. And even though they're like not normal brothers at all, um, I feel like I'm still like questing for a fic that captures the perfect way, like the way that I feel like they might react to, you know, the difficulties of like crossing that line and do we, don't we? Um, because I think, you know, especially for, Dean, I think, would have a lot of trouble. Like he he puts everything on family, right? Like it's yeah. it's so important to him, and all of his issues with guilt and the burden of responsibility that he feels like as a brother, specifically to Sam. That I feel like he would, even though they already 
don't just fulfill the roles of brother to each other, like clearly in canon, they are much more like, even without a romantic relationship, they're, they're not just brothers. But I think that's something that like so clearly transgresses against the idea of being brothers would be something that they might have trouble with. And Dean especially would have trouble like reconciling. And it's something that I have to admit, like I haven't really, or it's, it's hard to find it done in a satisfying way in fic. It, it's, I think that Candlebeck often like comes close to it. I, I think yeah. uh, when I think about like authors that sort of deal with it in a way that I like, um, Candlebeck often uh, is is more satisfying than a bunch of others that I can think of. But yeah, so yeah, I guess I've 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 learned to like appreciate more different types of fic um, with different sort of problems at the heart of them. But I'm still looking for like the one, <laughs> or maybe I'll have to write the one one day that like treats the the sort of the, the problematic aspect in a way that feels characterful and truthful to me. Yeah, uh, I honestly love how it's dealt with in this one in that, you know, as we said, they kind of resolve the ghost problem in New Orleans. They get on the road to Baton Rouge. They find a motel. Basically, Sam is patching Dean up and they're in very, very close quarters. And just, um, I don't know, it's like very sexy and kind of cool how like it it happens. And I think meshes well with maybe our, both of our views of, of Wincest as the brother thing being integral in that Sam is patching Dean up like he's taking care of him. And there's this wound that he's disinfecting with alcohol. And then, and then Sam blows on it. And it's like kind of near Dean's hip and like, you know, close enough to kind of an intimate area. And that is like something that Dean used to do for Sam when he was little as in like, it's a cooling, comforting sensation. Um, but in this case, of course, it kind of, they, this tension is like the building, which matches with the storm. And, um, and then it goes obviously into hand job in the bathroom, as you say. And I'll, just like the imagery of that, like you're, if you're a Wincess fan, you have to read this fic for that. There's like Dean drops the flashlight in the sink and the power is out and it just like reflects crazily off the mirror. And it's just this really cool, just imagery that I love. And like you said, sometimes you write stuff and it feels very crafted and maybe you didn't, I don't know how much is like beta and how much is like intentional. But to me, that was like the eye of the storm, like. They're both like into this intense thing happening and everything's fine during the sex, but actually the sex does not actually resolve anything. It's everything that happens in the fallout of that where after it's done, it's like this, oh no <laughs> moment. And it's not until they're, they actually have a conversation about it that like the pressure is finally relieved and it's like this and it goes along with the, the storm kind of coming to the end of this like release of pressure release of tension and they realize actually um they're gonna be okay and so that is all just done so so well and um i just wanted to read um again if that's okay oh, there's like i have all these parts highlighted and i'm like i can't <laughs> read the whole big sarah um but uh let's see this is after um they've slept together and we're in dean's point of view dean's head so the stakes of like him potentially having fucked up the most important relationship by far in his life are like right up here and then finally sam gives in a little bit this is Sam talking about how it's basically upset him that Dean almost got killed. Dean inhales. Finally, he turns to Sam. His brother looks every one of his 38 years, pale and monochrome in the watery light. 
Dean's caught by surprise sometimes, by the lines on Sam's face, the glimpse of gray at his temples. More than he's surprised by the same in his own reflection. He spent more time looking at Sam's face than his own over the course of his lifetime. Watched it change with the years, but some part of him still expects to find fresh-faced, dimpled Sammy looking back at him. Something catches in his throat at the sight of Sam now, hair splayed over his pillow, those deep-set eyes trained on him. For the first time in weeks, since Milwaukee, they're open to him, truly open, letting him see back into them. I just... I want... Sam swallows. I don't want to stop hunting, but don't die on me, okay? Dean's chest is expanding. The throb of his bruise subsides. He's full of helium. He's high. He's incredulous. He laughs. Sam's forehead furrows. You idiot, Dean says, meaning I love you. Sam's expression turns exasperated, familiar. He shakes his head, quirks his lips, meaning, yeah, love you too. The smile slides from Dean's face as he looks at his brother. Everything he wants, everything he loves, right there where he can reach out and touch, not drifting away at all. Maybe Dean's been an idiot too. You don't go dying either, he whispers. He holds Sam's gaze. It's not something either of them could promise, and they both know it. But they choose this life, and they choose each other. And for the first time, they can be sure it's their choice, and no one else's. Sam's mouth curls up, just barely, hopeful. He holds out a hand, licks his lips. His eyes gleam, the way they did in the bathroom mirror. Come here. His voice is steady, rough with a new undercurrent. Right, because Sam doesn't just want him alive, he wants him. Dean's stomach swoops, his heart somersaults. He goes to Sam. Oh, which just makes me put my hand up over my heart every time. Yeah, and there's actually a little scene after that, sort of early the next morning, and they're in bed, and like it's even more of a decompression, and like ah, it's just it's just nice. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, well done there. This is as much as like I feel like I, in my head canon of like what I want from Wincest is like I want them to grapple with it as like a problem, but also I want it to be okay and not just to be horrible mm-hmm. and angsty. So this for sure satisfied my little checkbox of like what I was hoping for out of this story. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Do you feel like? Um, this did what you wanted it to do. Definitely. Um, and, and more maybe in the end, thanks to, you know, really good beta. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I really wanted to sort of, you know, actually this is making me think of um, uh, something that's, that's come up in, in discussion before with some other folks is the idea of um you know, all fan fiction is, is like thesis defense in a way. It's like, you have your thesis of like, this is how I view the show or this, this ship. And then you've got to like make, make people believe it, right. That this is like plausible. Um, and for me, I think like my, my thesis was, you know, and I also don't think it's good to like maybe have it too defined. Cause like, if people can tell what you're trying to convince them of, <laughs> like it, it's maybe too on the nose <laughs> and too like manipulative yeah. with the writing, you know, um, you don't want to like bang people over the head with it. But what 
the ideas that I was certainly playing with and had in mind were like, Sam does not want to leave the life. That's his, this is not what's at issue. He, he wants to keep hunting with Dean, but also knowing that Chuck is gone, that, you know, they're not like special anymore, maybe creates some, some new fears and new tensions. And, you know, I, I know what's coming with the, the finale in mind. Um, it was sort of like my way of like making peace with that too, of being like, they know what they're doing. They're, they're choosing this life and they are choosing each other, which I think sort of makes Dean's eventual death, like more poetic, but also like satisfying knowing that he was like doing exactly what he wanted to be doing and like the happiest time in his life. And, um, and that leaving was not really an option. Like they're going to keep on hunting. Cause like, this is, this is who they are. This is what they do. And neither of them actually wants to, to leave the life at this point. Yeah. So, so yeah, actually, um, you know, Sam, even though this is Dean POV, I think Sam was like, they're always like equally important in a story that it's always about them ultimately together. But I think like there's a bit more, um, I don't know. Sam is, is such an interesting character. I think like different people can see such different things in him. So this was sort of like my, my stamp on like, here's who I think Sam is post 1519. And this is how Dean reacts to that basically. Cause it's always Dean reacting to Sam. That's <laughs> like basically yeah. the whole, the whole story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With him as um, kind of a, a semi parental figure for Sam, which dovetails nicely <laughs> into if we want to talk about understand the undernetting. I'd love to. Um, Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. So this fic, um, I believe, did you write this after Baton Rouge? So actually, I started it long before Baton Rouge and finished it after Baton Rouge. So it was sort of an interesting writing experience because it was one of the first, oh, man, I don't know. I have like another WAP that I have not finished. That was I started around the same time as I started under netting, but it was like one of the first things I wrote that I started writing for Supernatural before I'd even actually written any Wincest. And so I, I wrote like published the first chapter of that, uh, tried to continue it, sat on it for a while, thought I was not going to come back to it, but then I was suddenly like possessed to, to finish it up and um, revise some of what I had already posted as well. So yeah, <laughs> that was the writing process for that one. Oh, it's great. So this is a very different um, feeling story. It's a, it's probably over twice as long, and it's just cut right into two parts, two chapters. Um, and it, this takes place in the summer of 93. Yeah, summer of 93. We're actually also in New Orleans, so it's that sort of hot, sweaty, oppressive summer, which always, I feel like, makes a great like road like they're they're not actually on the road they're just in one place this for like these couple of weeks um but it just always like helps the tension or atmosphere i don't know why but i love playing with extreme temperatures for for settings either like really cold winter really hot summer it's just always so much fun oh yeah yeah and new orleans itself even though you place this in a part of new orleans that's very like I think you describe it's maybe near the airport. It's very like con, like lots of concrete. They're in a motel pretty much for the entirety. They go to McDonald's once, but they're pretty much at a motel. So as far as like setting and scale, it's like very small. Um, but it's also, it, it, um, it kind of makes a, builds up into sort of this little 
home kind of that ends up being built in this dynamic. So I guess we have um, just very briefly, everyone's to read this, but to sort of describe it vaguely, it's um, summer of 93. So Dean is, I believe, 14. Mm hmm. I think a Sam is 10. So we have our Weedchesters. Uh, look, his John, of course, is off on the road. We don't we don't see John until he comes back at the very end. But it's like that typical, like, John's off taking care of the job, and Dean is basically Sam's parent for those couple of weeks. He has to budget, like, survive on the money they have, take care of, like, take care of your brother, take care of Sam, of course, and keep him safe. And it's a very short period of time, and it Really all, um, a lot of the story revolves around Dean's encounter and relationship with this woman that he meets that lives in the same motel, like maybe a couple doors down or something. Um, and her name is, as far as Dean knows, her name is Susie. Um, actually, can I ask you first about just, I know the title is from a song, but was there something in particular that struck you about that song or were you just listening to it that um, lent itself to the title? Well, I love, I love Nico anytime. I'm trying to remember. Fairest of the seasons. That's it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, um, kind of the stanza. Uh, yeah. She just says it once. Um, but the little stanza is now that I've tried, now that I finally found that this is not the way, now that I turn, now that I feel it's time to spend the night away, I want to know, do I stay or do I go? And maybe finally split the rhyme. And do I really understand the undernetting? So not that there should be some like grand um, meaning that you can deduce from that, but um, I just, it was a cool title. I was just wondering if anything in particular struck you about that. Um, I think with that song, it's really, it's like a vibe thing for me. Um, the, the song has such a melancholy feel and, and I don't, I don't think it was necessarily written with this in mind, but I, I get a sense of like a wistful, like losing one's youth, losing one's innocence, sort of coming of age feel to it. And that, that line, understand the undernetting, I think like, I mean, it's, it's a great line because, it, you know, this is the only time you ever hear that word. Like that's not a phrase in the English language. This is an original use of language in these lyrics and it, conveys something even though you've never heard this word before you know like you just or at least for me like I, I feel like I can really grasp like what does that mean to understand the undernetting and I think it's sort of like to me and, and certainly the way it relates to story it's like that coming to realize the the depths beneath what you see and and like understand a little bit more about the world and the way that people work and the the good and the bad under the surface of it which is what Dean is going through here. He learns a lot about like the way that the world works and even about himself, like what it means to be him moving through the world and the way that people see him. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's really just a week or two in this one particular spot in this one particular space of time. Most of it is just Sam and Dean and Susie. What do you remember about um, kind of the conception of Susie or Susie as a character? I loved her. I'm so glad he loved her. Um, well, the idea for this fic came from some long ago discussions I had with a, another fan. I think she was actually doing some studies on like the motel as uh, maybe in, in like media or, or something like 
it's just such an interesting space, you know, like there's so much can take place in a motel. Like Sam Shepard has a play takes place in a motel, you know, and it just, so it's so tied up with like Americana and, and um, this transient space with characters coming and going like ghosts, you know? So I was just thinking about like what, you know, there's so many motel fics, right? Like there's so many, especially like in the Weechester genre, (laughs) um, you know, it's always them like growing up in motels and, I was just thinking about like what okay what else is in motels though like there there are all sorts of interesting characters one would meet at a motel and so often these motel fix are it's sort of an excuse to zero in on sam and dean right and their room and it's like the rest of the motel often doesn't exist pretty much like it's a way to get them isolated as characters but i was thinking about like especially when they're kids there must be like all sorts of things that they saw growing up in motels. Like, like what sort of like shady things did they see going on, you know, and just like interesting people's lives that they might have been privy to. And so I just was thinking about like, Oh, like Dean being at that age and like, okay, what if there's like a, I don't know, some woman who works as a stripper who is a sex worker or something like living next door and he would fall for her like really hard, you know? Um, and that's so that it was just an idea. And then it grew into like, okay, so who is this person? Who is Susie? And I, I sort of, I really was drawn to like writing a story that's about like Dean at this age where he is, he's, he's just a horny teenager pretty much. Like he's just really, really horny in his <laughs> whole story. Um, Cause that's just like, that's just who he is. That's, that's realistic. But he also builds a real human connection, right? It's, it's about him like sort of learning And to me, it was also important that like, it's not that he goes from like having a crush on Susie and objectifying her to like learning to value her as a person and he doesn't objectify her anymore or anything like that. It's not, that's not the journey, right? It's like, he, he definitely has, he has the crush, he's objectifying her and he still has those feelings of attraction for her as he gets to know her as a person. And it, even when it becomes something a bit more like real and, and sort of transcending their their circumstances um he's still attracted to her but it's just it's become this like deeper more adult attraction and also one that he realizes can't be consummated at that point like he he gets it by the end yeah absolutely i love that choice too that um the hinge of the story is on something that happens after they they develop this relationship of kind of being neighbors and their air conditioning goes out and yeah dean's just like horn dog about her but then she takes them into her room and like feeds sam and is kind of maternal with sam which is a huge endearment uh, and attraction for dean and then we realize fairly quickly like seuss is a working girl it's probably not her real name um so she's probably a sex worker um not to get too far ahead but then uh, this awful thing happens where um her pimp comes calling and is abusive and um we can go into that more later, but it's like a traumatic thing that happens to both Susie and Dean and Sam. I feel like a lot of authors might have, as a coming of age story, had to do something with some sort of sexual encounter between Dean and Susie. But that never happens, even though, you know, he lies about his age, tells her he's 16 and he's flirting with her all the time. But it becomes this very sweet um, relationship, especially after this awful thing happens. They don't get too much time after that. But it, that is definitely like the trauma that happens with her pimp coming and kind of assaulting her and assaulting Dean. It's just like this thing that pushes them together, but in a more like human and, and deeper way and makes him care about her. And 
he wants to be the hero, but he, he couldn't. And he's, and it just reinforces that like, he's still a kid really. And again, I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling um, here, but it's, uh, it is a really interesting journey that does not, they don't even kiss. They don't do anything. And yet it is a story about kind of her uh, inadvertently kind of educating Dean sexually, like Dean is at a point where he knows what sex is. He's seen porn. He knows what a blowjob is, but he hasn't actually done any of that, but he wants to, he's right on the cusp of it. And then Sam, we have his 10 year old Sam. He doesn't really know what any of that is, but he's at that age where Dean's (laughs) taking it upon himself to educate Sam. Like he'll talk about blowjobs and Sam's kind of like, uh i know what that's a sex thing but he doesn't know what it is and so like sam is dean is teaching sam and Susie is kind of teaching dean so it's this like sexual education coming of age but for the three of them at different ways um i don't know i don't have anything profound to say except that uh it works wonderfully and i love it's just pretty much this three character story with the three of them kind of end up playing house together yeah, it, with um, with Sam in that fic, uh, it's interesting because you know I, I think um, as always, like Sam is so important. Even though again, it's like ostensibly a story about Dean, and it's Dean POV, um, and like it, it is, it is Dean's story. Like he, like he's the one I think who goes through the biggest change in the story, of sort of like realizing where he is in the world like what what it means for him to be like an adolescent boy and also um i think you know starting to realize like as he's growing into his looks what that means for him like that's a subject i think it's endlessly fascinating to me about his characters like dean winchester's relationship to his own physical looks right and and what moving around in this sort of harsh world means for like a really beautiful person um and and the fact that like this can make him vulnerable to certain things as well um so he's sort of learning that for the first time but um for sam you know he's at such an impressionable age and it sort of snuck up on me like i knew that sam was going to be like a really important part of this story like, you know, by its nature, like Susie has to be the one, the one that they leave behind. Right. And it's, it's going to be Sam and Dean going forward, but it sort of snuck up on me, like how, just how integral Sam is to it, like to, to Dean's mindset at all times. He's always sort of like thinking about like, where's Sam? How do I protect Sam? And what became really interesting to me with this story is sort of navigating that, like, sort of like red flag behavior, you know, like things that in our normal world, if we, we saw like these things going on, we would definitely like set up our red flags of like, Oh my God, like these kids are being neglected and maybe this relationship that they're developing is not super healthy. And that to me is like stuff I love to dig into with, with Sam and Dean, especially when they're, when they're younger, it's like, it's really interesting. Um, because from Dean's perspective, like he doesn't see what might be wrong with like, you know, telling his little brother about all this sex stuff right in the way that like he really crosses some lines there and it's not like um it's not like in a a, i don't know that he's like abusing sam or anything like that it's not that type of like dark fic because i know like those exist too but um it's more just like how they're sort of feeding into each other and um how sam at the end it's like you know we're so sort of caught up with what's happening to dean it's like very 
explicit and and Sam is hiding in the shower the whole time that like the the assault is happening and he doesn't even see it happen but then at the end it's like Sam is is still there and he's the youngest yeah. and all this stuff has trickled down from like the the trauma of the older characters is trickled down and he's the one who's sort of observing it and absorbing it learning about the world from these things that he sees happening and I sort of wanted to like leave people with that feeling and also Dean with that feeling of like, Oh my God, like what is this doing to my little brother basically? And that feeling of like mixture of, of dread, but also like fierce protective love for him is essentially like where, where it ends up. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's so good. It's um, <laughs> you're right. It's, it's such a fascinating age for them where absolutely like the events of this really I think serve where we see the characters in Canada or at least a lot of us like that read into Wincess or or at least if you're not into Wincess like you know they have a an insanely emotionally codependent relationship so how that all came to be in their childhood is all just such rich territory to dig into and it's like oh yeah it's seeing 10 year old Sam like so basically yeah this Susie's pimp comes by is abusive and um, essentially rapes Susie and to Dean, he it's, it's, um, it's assault. It's like, he basically implies that Dean should work. Like he sees Dean's attractiveness, which is like, you know, Jensen Eccles is like one of the most attractive people on the planet. It's ridiculous. So even at 14, you can picture like he would be a stunning young man. Um, and this guy basically is just sleazy and gross and like, sticks his fingers in Dean's mouth and says just gross stuff about what like what that mouth can do and stuff. And yes, Sam is hearing all of this. He's not seeing any of this. He's hiding in the shower on the notes to the to the pimp. Um but yeah, after after the man is gone and um Susie is is um it's just awful thinking about how probably ashamed and scared Susie was. She's trying to like make sure Dean's okay. Um, but thinking about what that's doing to Sam the whole time. And then Sam and Dean finally get back to their motel room and Sam is so sweet. He like basically snuggles up to Dean and Dean's bed and he can tell that like he's this kid and he doesn't know exactly what happened, but he knows that something's wrong and that Dean's upset. He doesn't know quite how to grapple with it, but he starts asking all these like little kid questions like, what did he mean by um, your mouth? Did he mean kissing? And Dean's just like uh, traumatized and not and trying to answer Sam's questions without further traumatizing his brother. Like, yes, Sam, that's what he meant, kissing. And then and then you have this and this. Um, I'm just going on a lot and throwing a lot at you, but um, this story you could either you could interpret it as everything that underpinning this would contribute to an actual Wincess fic or or you can just see it as more of, I don't know if you want to talk about Gencest or just like this really intense relationship. And Sam basically comforts Dean in sort of the only way he knows physically. And he just, he like starts sort of kissing on Dean's face in just this like sweet little kid way, like trying to make his brother feel better. And it's to Dean is this way of like cleansing off the gross, horrible, just sullying experience that he's just had and i don't know yeah that was such a beautiful moment in the story um i don't know where that exact question is leading but um i thought you did that well and i guess was that an important scene to you and what that did for this fic 
Yeah. Um, interestingly, the kissing aspect was something I added in later. It was not like originally something that I had planned out. And I think it, it does sort of speak to how how easily like like this this is gencest for all intents and purposes, you know, but it can bleed over into wincest so easily. And it's like they're they're too young for that here. But I think I always knew I was writing a story that like could be pre slash, you know, like it's very easy to see how laying this sort of groundwork for their relationship might lead to more cross lines in the future. And that was like my intention to sort of set it up ambiguously like that. But, um, you know, then like adding in like, Oh, they're going to kiss. And it's like, it's intended in a platonic way, but like there's another sort of physical boundary crossed. Right. Yeah. And yeah, the more that I've written for them, the like I, I do get ideas for gencest fix all the time, but it's so easy to push them <laughs> into wincest. It's, it just takes one little nudge, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, also what's there to hold you back? I mean, clearly people read the wincest more than the gencest. They're just, it gets more clicks. <laughs> it's funny because like, you know, I've written, I think some of my best writing has been in in gencest stories and then there's just not nearly the interest for it which you know i understand i'm a i'm a hypocrite that way too i'll more likely click on a wincest pick than a gencest but um yeah it's just like the more the more that i stay in that universe um the more yeah the easier it becomes to like push them into a physical relationship i feel like like i've, I've toyed with um sequel ideas to that story. I don't know if I'll ever write them, but um, I sort of see it as maybe a potential beginning of like a undernetting verse. Like where, where are the, where is this Sam and Dean going to go? And um, I don't know. It seems at this point, my brain is just pointing emphatically like wincest, wincest. It's all about (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would read that. And yeah, it is, it is true that like, gen or stuff that's rated lower like especially g-rated stuff this would definitely be like a t or an m um but there's some amazing stuff out there that's just like platonic or gen and i i'm that way too where i'm like ah filtered out i want to give me the give me the m give me the t you know i'm not not always in the mood for explicit but i guess i i have this bias against like oh the good stuff is going to grapple with stuff that's like mature themes but um and this story does too but there's um Especially we'll talk about December Sutter County where, where nothing really happens there that, I mean, you know, that one's maybe a T, but I don't know. There's just some like some really amazing writing you can find in like a, a gen type environment that if you have, I don't know, if you have the patience, I don't want to say patience because that sounds wrong. But if you bother clicking on some of that stuff, especially if you find a good writer, like I hope people listening yeah. to this go and read all three of these stories because <laughs> Um, Baton Rouge got me to read your stuff, but that, that got me to these two stories, which are just totally wonderful. So well-written. Like I can tell that it makes sense that you're publishing. We can talk about that in a bit. Like you're <laughs> pursuing a professional career. Cause it's like so polished and so readable and it's just like a pleasure to read. So thank you. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think we mostly talked about it, but I think it, I think it ends really well with, um, 
basically at the, after this sort of traumatic event, there's a there's a really sweet scene that I just wanted to mention that um, Dean that night, he basically, he and Sam have sort of their moment where Sam's trying to comfort Dean and vice versa. And I think like protection is probably a pretty heavy theme in this. Um, where after Sam's asleep, Dean goes to um, Susie's room and she's been out that night working and she comes back. There's this really sweet scene that you've set up well where this whole time Dean has been really attracted to Susie, but he's never seen her with her hair down. And she's obviously had a rough night. And this is a woman who, speaking of this, like where everyone's at in their sexual education, like she not only is a mature woman, but she has to use sex as her way of paying the bills. It's like an she's economized it to where it's probably very difficult for her to separate I don't know if it would be difficult for her to like separate sex into like a romantic thing, but anyway, like that's a whole nother level of what sex is to Susie. It's like, she has to use it to earn her money. And so she comes in at the end of the night. And I think like you made a wonderful choice where this Susie and Dean's relationship never gets there. Um, And instead she just sits down and she's exhausted and she hands him her hairbrush and pulls her ponytail out. And he's like, never seen her, with her hair down and he's just in awe of how beautiful she is. And he just tenderly like brushes her hair. And I just thought it was like, Sam has kind of cleansed Dean of this horrible day in in the way that they are. And that this for Susie and Dean is kind of like the way that they heal some of the wounds of that day. Um, did that come up in writing that like hairbrushing scene? Or I just wanted to mention that cause it's a beautiful scene. Oh, thank you. Um, I think that was always planned more or less. Um, Like I knew that they weren't going to sleep together or anything like that. Or, you know, I knew that like Dean wasn't going to try to like make a move on her or anything. I think I'm just, you know, I'm a big fan of these sort of like quiet shared moments and, and revelations and, um, Man, like when I think about my favorite short stories, you know, it's there's often like this sense of a quiet catharsis that happens somehow, you know, like a character does something or shares a moment with someone and it doesn't even have to be this big climactic thing. Sometimes it's like the quietest moment and it's sort of all happening inside one's head, you know. Um, I just wanted to give Dean a chance to like feel everything that had happened to him and I think he he sort of does like with Sam it's sort of like a desperate moment where he's like he's he's kissing Sam's face and uh everything's sort of brimming over his his boundaries you know yeah. and with Susie I think it's more like internalizing of the of what he's learned and but also like who she is like for me it was important that they get to this sort of equal footing in a way even though equal footing for them yeah. means like also acknowledging that she's the adult and he is not he's still a kid but he also you know circumstances made him not able to be a kid and he has that that line of um you're trying to tell her like the one thing that he tries to say to her in that whole scene is that um you know I'm not just a kid you know I've seen things and she just sort of acknowledges it it's like yeah I know I yeah I don't, I don't remember what exactly she says. I think it's take, takes one to know one, I think. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. That, that acknowledgement that like, yeah, we've both been through some shit 
basically. And um, it, there's just like a stepping over threshold there for him without needing sex to do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. Um, and yeah, it's, it really is. Even though by the end, Dean, you know, he's, he's clearly still a 14 year old, um, but he's seen some more of the world in these couple of two weeks than he has before. And he's grown uh, in a way. And the end is um, John. John basically comes back to the motel and is like, usual like Colonel John. He's like, "Come on, pack up, you know, let's go." And Dean is still kind of like um, just processing all this stuff, and he knows he's never going to see Susie again. And I just love the ending where where it's like um, I don't know if you've ever seen the or read the book uh, Bridges of Madison County. It's about this woman. It's like a housewife in I think Iowa but it's like the Midwest um, and she's living at this farmhouse and her husband is kind of absent and this like charismatic kind of or at least compelling kind of good looking photographer comes into her life and they have this like affair and they're like clearly meant to be together anyway I don't know why I bring this up except that at the very end she's in a car with her husband and I think she sees the man she's had this affair with like outside of the car. And there's this like moment where she knows that she could open the door and run out to him and be with the person that she wants to be with, but she doesn't, she doesn't grab the door handle and go. So I felt like this is like the reverse where Dean has this moment where he's leaving. They're in the car. Dad says, let's go. He's like going out of the parking lot and Dean goes, wait. And before the car can even stop, he wrenches the door open, goes to Susie's door and puts his bracelet um, which we have learned from Dialogue with Sam is a symbol, or not a symbol, but it's supposedly in the occult world, actual protection. And it's the only way that he can convey like a goodbye or say something to Susie who has meant so much to him over these past two weeks. Um, ugh, this is a hard, so he doesn't get to talk to her, but you know, John is just furious with them. But to Dean, it was worth it just to get that one little last moment with her even though he's not with her um anyway it was just like oh so beautiful so great and so yeah it's just like all of these moments are very quiet they're not overdone they're not overly dramatic um mm-hmm. and i love i also agree that like the you said quiet catharsis is like a great beautiful way to put that so beautiful thank you uh, that's such an interesting uh comparison that you bring up too because that that moment of that movie or that book sounds a lot like uh, the type of ending that I really I really tend to like. Um, yeah, or there's like some sort of uh, hope, like a wish unfulfilled, or like there, there's a fantasy. You know, maybe you can like fantasize that something better could happen to you, or you know, maybe in another world or another lifetime or in in the future, but you know, right now it's like, well, shit, like this is, this is reality though. We gotta, we gotta deal with it. But there's like, there's something about um, even holding on to that hope that feels like transcendent in a way. Yeah. Those sort of like bleak, hopeful, weird mixed state endings are, are my favorite. I think They're like characters, um, they don't, they don't get the, the big, huge thing that they wanted, but you know, you're still left with this this sense that even though reality sort of closes in on them and puts constraints on them, there's still like 
some part of of their their spirit they're like yearning they're wanting that's like going to continue mm. uh yeah it makes me because there is a little bit of like kind of playing house and, and fantasy earlier on where before this pimp comes and they've kind of settled into their little roles and Sam and Dean come over every day to have lunch and she makes them mac and cheese and they watch the TV and it's a little bit like she's kind of playing their parent and, and we also learn that she has a daughter that she doesn't see which is like ugh, obviously just kind of heartbreaking um, but that is obviously shattered by this this pimp that comes and assaults them both um, but yeah I'd like to think that like maybe Susie does find the bracelet and wears it and thinks of Dean and not that they ever even have to meet again but that she looks at it and thinks of him and yeah just that there's someone out there who who cares you know you're, I, I normally, um, I don't know if I avoid particularly, but I certainly don't seek out stories with a prominent um, OC, but this is the type of story that makes me um, walk back that thinking and like, maybe I'm making assumptions because Susie is wonderful. <laughs> so I encourage everyone, please read, understand the undernetting. Um, if you're at all uh, interested in the dynamics of the Winchester brothers, it's a beautiful story. Um uh, I think we'll turn to the the last story that we read for today or that I, that I read and you wrote for today um, called December Center County. And it was one that like I um, I always after Baton Rouge, I was immediately thinking of asking you on and I'm, I'm just lazy. And I honestly like I only do these interviews where I get my interest really peaked because I'm like, oh, I have to do all this editing. And I'm just like a kind of honestly too lazy. I should be more productive. But anyway, my sister was like, okay, Baton Rouge is great. Did you read December Setter County? And I was like, no. And she's like, it's just Dean in the car and you have to read it. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> and my sister's become a huge fan of hers. And it's funny because we were talking because um, Laura has, uh, you guys have come back and forth with some like other common fandoms and stuff, but she was a huge fan. I know she would want me to say that she's a huge fan of this story in particular. Oh, um, yeah, and it's very. I love that the three stories we have today are all very different in their like setting and time and place. So this one is really just it's um, it takes place uh, the week uh, between Christmas of two thousand one and the New Year two thousand two. Um, and I love. Oh, I just threw this away. There's a little. Um, I'll just read a bit of this in a second, but it's basically uh, Dean's on the road with baby. So it's single character, but also kind of two characters together. If you consider baby a character, um, mm -hmm. she's very important. And Dean is um, driving around the central Valley in California for this sort of week in between Christmas and new year's. And uh, he, he doesn't have a job and John's not with him. He's just by himself. And you pretty quickly get the sense that he's, we know that at this point, Sam is at Stanford. I can't remember if that's explicitly said. I think it is at some point. Yeah, not until the very end, actually. Okay, yeah. So it's like this whole thing where Dean's like got this complex, as he always does, of Sam. And he's like trying not to make this like journey in this week about Sam. But like, of course, it's about Sam. It's about like, how he thinks about Sam or doesn't think about Sam. Um, so Sam is at college and Dean is just on the road trying to take up some time. And of course he's, the Central Valley is just probably a couple hours away from where Sam's at at Stanford. 
and it ends up being this kind of like <laughs> he ends up on this like um repetitive track around Sutter County in the, in the Central Valley in California is like um and then I think in the northern half still of California I think it goes down pretty far south but he stays in like the northern part of it Yes. you. Yeah, that's right. Because it's just like, it, it's really cool, actually, if you look up like a geographic, um, I can't remember what that's called, like geophysical, like a, t- a topographic view of mm-hmm. California. It's like this crazy, just like the rest of California is kind of is like kind of mountains, but in the center, there's this strip of like kind of flat um, valley. And the, yes, the northern part is where Dean's at. And he can't quite bring himself to drive all the way to Stanford, but there's a there's a town, San Francisco, oh, San Francisco, San Francisco, yes, yeah, where it's yeah. yeah, Stanford's kind of on the other side. So he ends up driving this like track around like um, kind of north of there, where he can't quite bring himself to get on the highway to go down to San Francisco. Um, yeah, so it's funny. But anyway, I'll read this quickly. Uh, this little paragraph where Dean's on the road. He keeps going south at an inland angle, just to be safe. Passes a towering statue of a prospector with flaking paint presiding over a vacant lot. Passes rice paddies dotted with water birds by the thousands. He hits hills again and makes it to Folsom, humming Johnny Cash's Folsom Prison Blues to keep baby entertained. It's been one of his silent driving days. At the Folsom Dam, he stops and watches the American River rush down the rocky gorge. From here, it will meet up with the Sacramento and flow onto the bay. He's so close now. If he just let himself go, gravity would do the work for him, carry him there like another drop in the watershed. Instead, he heads back north. He ends up back at the Pacific Motel, not even having killed a full day. The clerk gives him a blank look and asks, same room? Dean says sure, and that this time he'll be staying till further notice. This nowhere place has its hooks in him. Maybe it's the time of year, the odd limbo between Christmas and New Year's, the valley between the big events. Dean figures he might as well stay until he finds another job or dad calls, or he works up the courage to go further south than Folsom. So it's this great parallel, I think, between time and place, this like valley in between Christmas and New Year's and what he really wants to be, which is with Sam, but he's not. he doesn't quite have the the chutzpah to like go see Sam and the story is really just Dean on the road um which I love I love kind of the road aspect of this and um yeah I don't know do you have um have have you been to the Central Valley did you know you wanted it I guess it makes sense that it's there because obviously it's near Sam um but did you know you want to do a road fic or what do you remember about kind of the conception of of this story yeah this one um this one came about really quickly uh i was i was spending some time in the in the central valley and it's like such a uh i don't know it's a boring place (laughs) but it's i don't know it's it's like often road trips give me ideas for writing i mean just i feel like shifting landscapes around you can work on you in interesting ways um and for me it was you know the, the sutter buttes out there which figure prominently in the in the fic um, I don't know. Yeah. It's something about that. There's like mountains on the horizon and just like never getting there. Um, and this, this flat, boring farmland in the middle of California, like it just sort of got me in a headspace of thinking about 
Dean and thinking about like being sort of stuck places, you know, and, and traveling, but not getting where you want to go. So yeah, I think I just, just wrote it in a couple of days, honestly. And it came out pretty much fully formed as it was. It was like, this is, this is the story I want. There it is. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I wondered, cause I've definitely written some fics where I have description of like setting or plates where it's literally probably me just going on Google maps and like looking at certain road marks or even just like going on Google earth, but it's definitely always better and more vivid if you've been there. So it mm-hmm. doesn't surprise me that you had, you had been there. Cause I love, um, I don't know what it is, just the description of uh, the landscape and the, the places that are there, like this sort of central Valley thing where they're like the Pacific motel and there's like a crab shack. They're like, Oh, we're on the coast, but actually you're still like a couple hours from the coast. Like it's not, you're not the coast, but they're like yeah, <laughs> taking on that aesthetic. <laughs> um, I thought it was like, you wouldn't think of that unless you were there. So the the road aspect of it is, is great. Um, do you, oh, I just wanted to ask, like, are there any particular influences you can think of like I don't know for some reason I just got me thinking of Steinbeck I think for some reason I'd read like Travels with Charlie and a little bit of some other Steinbeck that reminded me of this um was there anything that I feel like that contributed to this or did it just sort of come out of um actually yeah I I was writing I was reading some um George Saunders short stories at the time uh, specifically his um Civil War land in bad decline collection. Um, I th- that doesn't really match the um, does not match the content that well. Like, like he's writing about very different subject matter. Although, I mean, I guess writing about like you know losers, sort of you know like people that like shit is just going wrong in their lives. You know um, that it shares in common because I mean that's where Dean is there, right? Like he's just he's got no direction. He's like, I don't think he's ever been that lost as he is at that time, you know, without either his brother or his dad. And he's not someone who does being alone very well, but with the, uh, the Saunders definitely influenced my writing style. Like I felt like I was, um, sort of trying something out different stylistically with this, with this fic. And I really wanted to stick to it and, I like, you know, that was so short. It's like one of the shorter fics that I've written. Um, and it that made it easier to sort of like try to stick to making it just like tightly crafted and um, really pay attention to like every sentence and and is it doing what I want it to do? Um, so on a voice level, yeah, I was sort of influenced by that and paying more attention maybe than, than I usually do. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I was going to ask kind of about style and voice. I, I feel like it's, um, uh, yeah, it's just great. I, I'm not as familiar enough with, like, different, as as well-read as I would like to be um, as far as, like, recognizing kind of influences in voice and style. But um, it read really well, and it's, um, yeah, it's funny because Dean's voice would would almost deceive you that, like, Oh, he's fine. Everything's fine. He's just, he's content. He's on the road with baby. But like, of course, if you know anything about Dean and I think if you read this on pay a little more attention, you realize that, uh, yeah, absolutely. He is totally literally directionless. Like he's just going in this circle (laughs) over and over again. 
and trying this uh, cognitive dissonance not to think about Sam and, and spending Christmas with Sam and the New Year's with Sam and how he, he needs to see his brother, but um, he just sort of refuses to acknowledge it. Um, but I suppose that is where, um, can you talk about the, the Sutter Buttes? Like that, that is something, if you're paying attention, you realize that that is definitely important in that it's this landscape that Dean notices and it's like this tourist attraction that he knows if Sam were with them, he'd be like, oh yeah, I would definitely go see that. But because he's alone, he's like, well, what's the point? And then he he does end up having an encounter with a woman at a bar that he sleeps with and she's delightful. Um, and he kind <laughs> of mentions that as if he almost wants to ask her to go with them, but he doesn't. But yeah, that like, that setter, is it setter buttes? Am I getting mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah. If you could talk about that a little bit or like what, how that came up or what that function is. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it, it, it definitely came from like the rest of the fic, uh, you know, my, my experience of like driving around there and yeah, seeing those mountains and thinking like, oh, it would be, it would be easy to go do like do this thing like yeah, you can see them why not just drive out there um but then thinking about like what holds us back even subconsciously the things that we're not even really thinking about um keeps you from doing something that seems as easy as as driving up to the horizon where you where you see these mountains um and uh, yeah I, I don't know maybe it was like just my headspace at the time when I was seeing them but I was just like yeah, like what a great, what a great stand in for like whatever unfulfilled part of your life you have, you know, and for, for Dean, it would be, it would be Sam, obviously, like, but I guess like it, what they allowed me to do in the story, what I was interested in doing was, um, you know, how do I write a story about this emotional subject, about this emotional core without directly addressing it, right? Because Sam um, is never mentioned until the very end, like never by name, you know, never by brother or anything. Like Dean is very expressly like not thinking directly about Sam, but sort of thinking around this like empty shape of Sam throughout the fic. And I, I really was trying like on a craft level to let subtext tell the story. Like I'm going to write a whole fic about Dean thinking about Sam but he's only going to actually think about Sam in the last paragraph, right? Like, but that's what the whole the whole thing is about. And um, I just think, like, on a craft level, that was a really fun exercise. I mean, that that's also where like the Saunders influence, or maybe just like litfic in general influence, was sort of creeping in. Where I was like, I want to write a story that feels maybe a little bit more like like litfic. Like, it's still fanfic, absolutely. There are things that like you have to bring with you to the fic to to get it. But um, I think that fan fiction often it dwells in that space of like, let's look directly at all this stuff that the the characters aren't thinking about in canon or aren't talking about directly in canon. Right. Like like let's get inside their heads and and lay it all out there. Um, And sometimes that works great. You know, like great stories come out of that sometimes. But there's just like different ways of sort of like filtering the the id part of it. Right. Like the the character ids and, and the wants and also like the author id and, and wants like, I think it's, it's really interesting when people talk about like id fic, you know, being like fic that just comes straight from like whatever the, the author most unconsciously wants to, to write about or like just, just to gratify themselves, you know? And that is an, to me, that's like a really interesting question with writing in general is like how much 
is like gratification of the author, the writer, and of the reader. How much of a place does that have in the story? It does does it lead to better writing or worse writing? You know, different different levels. I think you know catering to the id is often frowned upon. That's why fan fiction is often frowned upon. But um, I think even fan fiction can have varying levels of like idiness in it, right? And um, that's true of like original fiction as well. Like like how much do you let in there? Like how much do you open those valves? Let the id just flow. And this one, I was trying to like tamper it, t- tamp it down, right? Like I was consciously playing with that and trying to be like, no, I'm not gonna like just dive directly into it. I'm not gonna, I don't know, let myself or, or the reader like wallow directly in these angsty thoughts. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write around it. <laughs> um, and craft wise, you know, I was satisfied with with the results. But it's just interesting to sort of play with those things and see what different results you get. Ah, yeah, that's all such good stuff. I know we've all probably at some point encountered it, but the id, a Google search would reveal the part of the mind in which innate instinctive impulses and primary processes are manifest. So kind of like, yeah, more innate impulses. And for Sam, that is, or for Dean, I guess that is like, in this case, maybe thinking about Sam and sort of writing around, thinking about Sam. Yeah, that's that's really cool because... I feel like for supernatural fans, like even if you're like a Destiel shipper, like you can't deny that Sam is like a primary, like he's just like everything that Dean is for better or for worse. Dean has identified himself as Sam's like caretaker, you know, take care of your brother. And so Sam is so prominent in like Dean's psychology. So I love that, that angle of crafting a story around kind of Dean not thinking, but not thinking about Sam. Uh, yeah, it's great. Um, I was just trying to think if there's a little bit that I wanted to read this. I don't know if you have a favorite part. I really do like this paragraph when finally Dean does think of Sam and he does sort of yeah this like fantasizing about what if he had the courage to go down and see Sam, how that would go. Yeah, I love that. Okay, I'll, I'll read that little part. Um, so Dean's had this encounter with this woman that he sleeps with uh, on New Year's Eve into New Year's Day. And they're kind of thinking about resolutions. Like she said, like, oh, I'm not smoking. And he's like, that's, it. I don't know. He's, I think it gets him in that headspace of thinking about resolutions, like how he's been avoiding this whole thing where he would like to go see Sam. And he finally lets himself think about that. And uh, she leaves and then Dane's alone in the motel. And we'll just read from here. Dean sighs deep. The sheets smell better now. Wanda's peony perfume masking the stale cigarette smoke. He imagines for a moment that she's right. He imagines he calls up his brother. He imagines Sam hardly believes his ears, but is ecstatic to hear from him. And when Dean tells him where he is, Sam insists he come down. Dean drives south and he doesn't stop at Folsom. He bypasses it altogether and shoots on to the bay. He arrives at Stanford campus as the sun rises on the first day of the new year, and he finds Sam there waiting for him. And Sam beams and asks Dean to get him the hell out of there because it turns out this college business isn't for him. What was he thinking? He doesn't want the apple pie life. He wants to race across the country sitting shotgun and baby. And they meet up with dad and all is forgiven. And the caravan town to town solving cases and saving lives. And it's more than rote repetition and more than a thankless grind, and more than blood, guts, and gore, because they're in it together, and they're a family again. 
and Sam gripes at his music and laughs at his jokes and reads the welcome brochures in every state and says, so get this, followed by some inane and wonderful fact, and life isn't perfect, but maybe it can be beautiful, and maybe it can have meaning. And then uh, Dean's interrupted by a um, text alert from Dad, and Dad says, let's go. So it's this little moment uh, on New Year's Eve where Dean is fantasizing about what would happen. It's just like, uh, like everything. Dean wants these very simple things, but they're so out of reach. And yet we know where it's going. And if you take Ken, like he'll be there soon and the show will start and we'll get to where we want them to be. But right now it's so out of reach. So I love that part. Thanks. Yeah, that actually, I think really exemplifies that type of ending that I was talking about that I, I really appreciate um, that, you know, Saunders does so well. I think in his short stories, I was reading, you know, some of them that just, um, oh man, like people who've gone through some terrible stuff, like some of them, like their lives just suck so much, you know? And then it's like a transcendent paragraph of like fantasizing of some, you know, better, alternate life and then it just crushes down to reality but like nope but this is where I am um but yeah that's my favorite it's my favorite thing and that's like Dean's little moment letting himself imagine something but then you know then he does the Dean thing right he just like shoves it down keeps soldiering so used to like shoving down his own desires like that's the dean winchester story like he just (laughs) repress repress like never gonna get what i want that's just that's just how how it goes oh my gosh yeah it's just totally inherited from his father like survival just like (gasps) just press it down oh man thanks john (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, we'll, we'll close out here. I mean, it always takes longer than I think, but I've monopolized your time for, um, two hours here, but, um, I've got some kind of, um, I always do 10 rapid fire, but rapid fire is in parentheses because I just feel like we always get excited and talk a bunch. So as short or as long as you want it to be, um, let's see, what do I have written here? Um, Oh, what's one of the first fanfics that you remember really loving or that was striking to you? Oh, man. Um, Okay, so I'm going to have to answer for Supernatural fanfics because I couldn't even tell you what, like, the the first, like, big one that had an impact on me from whatever, 10 plus years ago. I do know that the name of that... um, Killaby's one that I said sort of like got me to understand Wincest for the first time. That was uh, Carry Me Over the Sky by Killaby's. And um, I haven't reread it in a long time, but I just remember like the way that um, they're in crisis in that story felt really real and the way that the characters are like reacting to the situation and to their own like crossing a physical line in their relationship and the sort of the, the guilt and the unease that comes with it, but also like the way that the brothers are totally like committed to each other. Um, that really captured me. That was, that was my first one. That I was like, okay, I can, I could ship this for real and keep the characters in character. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'll definitely find that one and um, put it in the show notes and also read it. Cause 
I feel like I'm, yeah, just underread in Wintest. Like, I have read quite a bit, but for whatever reason, I, I read all of Candlebeck, and then for some reason, I just didn't read a lot else. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, Candlebeck is like, <laughs> there there aren't many Candlebecks out there, and if that's your, you know, if that's like your standard, I don't know. There, there's some other wonderful writers, but um, yeah, I don't know. They're, they all sort of are doing different interesting things and Candlebeck is, is unique among them, but I can definitely always yeah. send you many recommendations too. I've, I've got loads. <laughs> Yay. Perfect. Um, that's probably further down on my list too, actually, but um, I'll, I'll go in order here. Okay. Um, this, this is a silly one, but um, you are marooned on a desert Island. Uh, what book would you take and which Winchester brother would you take with you? Oh no. Oh God. Um, <laughs> only one book. Okay. I guess I would say I would take a book of um, poetry by Wisława Szymborska, who is one of my favorite poets. Um, she was, she's a Polish poet who, I don't know, her poems are just full of like warmth and wisdom. And I think of her as like my poetry godmother sort of you know just like this wise like benevolent force so i think if i were stranded on a desert island i would need some like wise benevolent poetry in my life mm. yeah <laughs> so that would be the book i would probably go insane if i were stuck with either winchester brother on an <laughs> island because they'd just be ranting about being away from their brother the whole time. Yeah. And they'd probably be like, get off the island and leave me there. <laughs> but um, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Sam just because he is like marginally more, um, you know, if, if, if shit really hit the fan, I know I'd be screwed. He, he dumped me in a second for, for Dean to like get back to his brother, but he's like a little bit more concerned about what like normal people think or like what he should do in a situation, you know? So I think he would up to a point, he would do everything he could to help me get off the Island. Unless, you know, it was like me or Dean, then, then I'd be done. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dean might be a little more single-minded and just be like, exactly. See you later. <laughs> he wouldn't even try. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, uh, what are you reading right now? Um, it could be fic, it could be published uh, lit. Um, what's on your What's on your nightstand right now that you're reading? Ooh, okay. Um, well, I'm still working my way through that Saunders because I've been really slow with reading mm. lately, but it's really it's a good collection. Um, and uh, I actually, speaking of Swabish and Borska, I just started reading her um, the book of. Uh, prose pieces by her she like started a column where she was um so she was like going to be reviewing books but then they just turned into these little non-fiction snippets of um like musing on whatever topic and it's not even really a review of the book it's just like her thoughts on some random subject and it's totally charming and lovely and it's uh her book non-required reading by Viswava Shamborska. <laughs> Um, non-required reading. Really okay. Non-required reading. Yeah. Cool. Um, but fic-wise, I've been. Oh man, I've been binging fic recently. I um, 
I actually am almost finished with a fic that I put off reading for a really long time because it's like a it's a big one. Um, but uh, it's called Splinters by Morgan, and this is an author, Morgan, who um, I discovered as I was like getting back into Supernatural and I read a bunch of their stuff and or well specifically the story um, Midwinter Montana was like. I, I loved it uh, when I read it, getting back into fandom. And it's been an interesting journey for me, like in my couple or like whatever, like year and a half now being back in supernatural fandom and reading so wide, widely, I feel like my tastes have also changed a lot as I've like sort of gotten more of a sense of like the feel of the landscape of Wincest fan fiction and like what, what aspects of the characters do I like or not like? And I've gotten a bit pickier. Um, so a lot of ones that I read early on, maybe like I, I wouldn't like so much anymore, but Midwinter Montana is an interesting one. Uh, well, I, I haven't really revisited, but this, this author is an interesting author that like just has a very unique sort of style, but Splinters especially is unique. Um, it's like a Southern Western Gothic AU, which is not what I usually read for, for Supernatural, you know, but it's like a horror Western and it's, it's got this like hypnotic Ooh. quality to it. So it's been really drawn me in for sure. It's, it's an interesting retelling of the story. Um, so I'm almost done with that. And that's got me on sort of a Western kick. So I want to read some more the Western. I know that like there's, there's a whole bunch of like Western AUs for oh, Sam and so exciting. Oh, I love that. Um, okay, this is another stupid question I randomly came up with. Um, <laughs> you are snowed in at a ski cabin. What TV show are you binging, and are you watching it with Crowley or Castiel? Ooh. Um, okay, I would say binging Community because that's what I've been binging lately. <laughs> um, it's wonderful. And, man, those would both be entertaining options, I feel like. Um Okay, well, I think I gotta choose Crowley just because, like, I like Crowley as a character <laughs> more. <laughs> um, but I feel like it could bring out sort of, sort of like Castiel's funnier side. I yeah. like Castiel when he's funny. Um, I think that's like the best version of Cass is like sort of oblivious, unintentionally hilarious Cass. Um, I feel like he'd have a lot of questions about the show that would be pretty funny, but, but... could also be annoying. I feel like. <laughs> Crowley, Crowley would be, that's true. <laughs> He'd be like, why is he doing blah, blah, blah? Why are they playing football again? That's what <laughs> like, I was kind of thinking. I was like, Cass would be fun, but he would like, he'd have to explain everything and he would ask a bunch of questions where Crowley might just like yeah. pour himself a whiskey and just enjoy himself. <laughs> yeah. He'd be like, oh, these are my people. <laughs> They're all terrible. Oh my gosh, I love him so much. Um, okay. What's your favorite supernatural season? Ooh, uh, season two. I think so too. I love season, yeah, season two and three for me are the ones I go back and forth on. But I feel like season two because it's Monster of the Week still, which I actually really like. But mm -hmm. I feel like they've settled into their dynamic better than in season one. Um, and Sam's hair is great. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. Just rate them on Sam's hair alone. Seriously, yes. you could just do a whole other episode on that. Um, yeah, I love how they think they found like such a good such a good balance between like the their overarching like character emotional things that they never lose track of. It's like, there's a great through line, but 
individual really like standout episodes. Like they're just all so, so tight and like contributing to the, to the overarching plot, but like also good standalones. Yeah. Um, so my next question, question six is actually uh, your favorite supernatural episode or, or one of your favorites that you can think of. Oh my God. That's really hard. Cause it's like, is roadkill in season two that uh, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, I think it is. That's a really good episode. Well, I have so many favorite episodes and always depends like what mood I'm in, but yeah, I think it's sort of always a tie for me between, um, swan song and all hell breaks loose because um you know those are two that i can only rewatch them like as part of a whole rewatch undertaking you know i can't just like single it out and enjoy it as a standalone because it's like they're both such good culminations of everything that has led up to them you know uh just all this this build up and you finally get the payoff and it's like so emotional but um oh i think i'd have to go with all hell breaks loose just because like that first time I remember that first watching experience when seeing one of the brothers die and seeing like Sam die in Dean's arms and then like make the deal that sets it all off. And like literally everything is just a chain of events out from that one decision. Um, and it's just so phenomenal. So emotional. Like the first time that happens. Uh, I, I remember just like, I think in a, a bunch of the season three, like recaps, you just had to, you kept seeing like Sam get stabbed like, over and over again. Oh my God, right? <laughs> I was like, the road till now. And you're like, well, how many times do I have to see Sam stabbed and die? You're like, Sam! <laughs> and like the way that Jensen delivers that Sam, like is yeah. so, <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so iconic. Um, yeah, I agree. It's a great season finale and just a great uh, couple of episodes overall. Um, you kind of answered this already, so we can skip over it or you can recommend other ones, but can you recommend some supernatural fic that you love? Oh my God. Okay. Yes. I, I came prepared for this one. I was like, I'm going to have Yay. to have some, some fic ready. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, this is sort of cheating, but, um, I would say pretty much like everything in that wanted man challenge, like all, all the authors in there, like those are some of my favorite uh, currently writing authors in the supernatural fandom. Like Nige is a wonderful writer, uh, Deadly Bride. Oh, what's, what's her, I think Damnable, Damnable Bell. Is that her <laughs> author name? I think anyway, they've got some really, really wonderful fix out. Just like go through everything. Honestly, um, all the writers in that, that collection, they're, they're all got great stuff. So now I've got that like cheap shot out of the way. Um, <laughs> This is actually going to be hard because uh, it's hard to have like a, I don't know, like overall thick recommendation. It's usually like in a, within a specific like trope or category, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. then I know what to go to. I guess I do have to give a shout out to uh, Squint into the Sunset, Glare into the Gloaming by Dyed Red, uh, another one of my um, favorite writers. Uh, that fic was, it's, it's a pre-canon like slow burn you know we cest thing and i just think it does a really good job of sort of like plotting out a lot of those sort of like codependency deepening issues and like stuff that we, we were talking about like the how how do they end up with that relationship and how do they cross over that line when there are so many barriers in the way or like boundaries and like guilt and shame and all this stuff that i think works really well for them especially when they're little or when they're young you know and like dealing with these these questions and these issues um it's got great characterization 
Yeah. Okay. That that's plenty of fake though, because <laughs> there's yeah, there's a lot out there. Totally. And that and that covers my next question about favorite fanfic authors. I'll put all those authors, Nige, uh, Dan Paul, okay. um, Died Red, all those guys. Um, yeah. Is there, is there anyone else you wanted to particularly shout out, or is that kind of? I think. Uh... Um, Flesh Flutter is a, another really good one. Like not all of their stuff is on AO3 though. A lot of their stuff is still only on LiveJournal. Um, I think yeah. on AO3, some of their work can be found under just the author name Flesh, but they have a lot of really great stuff. And um, I also, I really uh, admire, oh gosh, okay, okay. So for a more, um, a more smutty recommendation, Edwardina, I think is just like, fantastic for yeah if you're just looking for like more more smutty reading um it's definitely not for everyone like you know just pay attention to the to the tags I guess but um and and not not everything that they've written is like for me either but I just think that what they're really good at what they do um and they wrote some um some like pre-series uh fic that I definitely I really appreciated for like sort of going against some of the more standard conventions, I guess, like subverting some expectations of how we expect stories like that to go, you know, they can rely pretty heavily on, on tropes, but, um, you know, I think it's like an art of its own to sort of keep characters in character, even when you're just writing porn, basically, you know, and it's like, uh, that, that's clearly like the point of the story. You're not like trying to make it necessarily like realistic, to canon, but if you can still get the characters to, to feel like themselves in that circumstance, that's that's great on its own. And <laughs> Edwardine is good at that. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that is it's it's a skill. It is one I don't have, so I appreciate when <laughs> authors can do that. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Last two, last couple questions. Um, can you give us a piece of writing advice, maybe that's helped you or that you've learned that you um, would pass on to kind of like aspiring either fanfic writers or just people trying to write their own original fiction um people just trying to improve their writing what would you what advice would you give them man it's a lot of pressure one little (laughs) (laughs) nugget of wisdom um i mean honestly i think this is it's almost like a it's a cliche but it's true and that's like you have to write what you want to write i think it's really pointless to worry too much about like what other people want to read because that is going to change tastes change you know um but you shouldn't be trying to like please any one reader or group of readers or like fandom trend or, or whatever you know I think one of the most like joyful things about being in fandom for me has been realizing where like my tastes don't align necessarily with like what a lot of people say on tumblr want or what a lot of people writing fic are writing, you know, it's just, it's just not all going to be for me, but that's, that's okay. And like realizing you don't have to cater to that because there are going to be people who will find your writing and will connect with it. So just don't worry about like pleasing others with your writing. Like you should just write what you are interested in and then the right readers will, will find you. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. If everyone was super concerned with what an audience wanted, I feel like fanfic wouldn't be what it is, which is that we go to the corners and the and the places that regular fiction can't go or doesn't want to go mm-hmm. or isn't marketable to go, and and yet people find it. There's enough of us that want to see two brothers um, in this 
fucked up relationship and see what happens when you throw stuff at them. So exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, my last question is about fan fiction. Um, but real quick, did you, you have mentioned that you are writing uh, professionally and pursuing a professional career. Is there anything that you'd want to talk about that as far as like what that's like or how that differs from fan fiction? It's interesting to me because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people sort of see fan fiction as a stepping stone. Um, and and for some writers, it works that way. You know, like they start out writing fan fiction and then they write a, a YA novel or something. And, and that, that's great, you know, good for them. But I think, you know, I maybe used to see it that way that like maybe this was just like a part of my writing path that I would leave behind when I when I went to grad school, you know, and and at first I did find like that was originally I I, I mean, I've taken I've taken sort of years long gaps away from fandom and, and fan fiction before, um, you know, I, I, I haven't been writing it every year since I fell into my first fandom like a decade ago. So I, there've been times where I thought like I was done with it, you know, and I was, I was just going to go pro and wasn't going to look back. And, um, when I started grad school, I sort of thought that I was like, oh, I'm really busy now. Like, I don't, I don't need this in my life anymore to be distracting from my original work. And, you know, it was really only because like of the pandemic that I got back into it. Cause I had that sort of space open up in my life for it. Right. But one thing I've really learned is like, just how to, I think, appreciate fan fiction on its own terms. Like it's not, it's not like the little leagues where or the minor leagues, you know, like where you're, you're playing before you get into the major leagues, like before you go pro, you know, it's, it's not like that. It is its own literary genre. I think, you know, with its own like metrics, I think what sometimes frustrates me is when, um, you know, people, people look down on, on fan fiction um, because they see it as like not having literary merit I think also sometimes like people in, in fanfic spaces get caught up like judging themselves by those metrics as well. And I think that that's not really productive or useful for anything because I think um, I've come to like appreciate fanfiction as its own thing that does not need the validation of like the literary fiction world or the legit whatever pro publishing world. Uh, they're just functioning in completely separate spheres. And I think that they are interested in very different things and and something so something i've learned i think is just that like okay it's fine that if i think i'm i want to set it aside and like concentrate on my original writing if that's something i need to do but i can always come back to it and it's not it doesn't it's not taking a step back you know it's not like letting myself down because i'm i'm back to writing fan fiction doing that amateur thing it's it's not that it's like my pro writing is very separate from my from my fan writing. Those are like things that are not going to converge, but I think that um, they can sort of like elevate each other. Like things I learned from my original writing, I can carry over into fan fiction and vice versa even. And so they can make each other better. But like, you know, I don't need to worry about um, some like, I don't know, reaching some standard that gets set by by literary fiction. Like, I think if it's a good story, it's a good story. And if, if it's well told, it's well told, you know? And uh, fan fiction is, is just doing something different. So yeah, I, I'm like not so caught up in like thinking of it as, as lesser than it's like there, there are always going to be amazing people writing fan fiction and they're going to be doing things that are just as incredible or better than like a bunch of stuff at the bottom of the, the lit fic pool, you know, and it's just they're apples and oranges. They're totally different. And there's nothing wrong with being invested in, in fan fiction for what it is, you know, it doesn't have it doesn't have to be like that stepping stone to be valid. 
Ugh. Yeah, I love that because that, that is a super uh, common thing is like fan fiction is the minor leagues, prose of the major leagues. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they're just different as far as like what people, like the general public will sell, whereas fan fiction is definitely a more specific audience that comes to look for what they want. And um, yeah, it's just different. So I love that answer. Mm-hmm. This might be um, repetitive, but my last question was actually just what has fan fiction done for you or what do you think um is there anything else that you can think that um kind of like why fan fiction or, or what it has brought to you as a writer and as a reader yeah um so much honestly uh in terms of writing i mean like like i said it it has helped my original fiction in some ways like i think getting to know characters on such a deep level is a great privilege and it's actually something that i think people who don't have a background in fan fiction can struggle with them when they're trying to write original characters like they don't know what it is to like live with a character in your head like so clearly so well fleshed out and so that can that's a great thing I think also um you know even an element of like writing from the id like knowing like what what do I really want to write about you know and playing with that uh level of like self-gratification in writing like what's what's just the right amount that's like it's gonna snag the reader and get them invested too without being like gratuitous you know because I think like fan fiction just oh it's hard to imagine like my my creative life without it because it it shows you that there are people out there who are going to connect with any number of things and they're going to take anything that you can put out there and they're going to roll with it. Um, and it just sort of opens up this world of possibilities. Like I never would have been able to write so many like stories about like really questionable relationships and like have people actually read it and like get invested in it and give f- feedback. I mean, that's, that's honestly what I think the most valuable part of it is, is like the community, the fact that there's not a barrier to entry. Like it's so hard to find those things with original fiction. Like I think it takes joining writers groups or an MFA or something. Like it's hard to find people to write or to, to read your stories, to give you feedback and even harder to find people who are like going to really care about your stories. Like that's such a luxury that getting started as a pro writer no one no one gives a shit about like what you're writing about like your little short story in a lit mag like no one cares about those characters you made up like maybe if if you're really lucky you might get there one day where you write some characters that people actually give a shit about but in terms of like writing stories that people are going to carry with them that are going to actually like touch people i think there's there's no better way to do that um with you know basically no resources except for to have a computer and a Wi-Fi, right? Then you can participate in fandom and you can find people who are going to care a lot about about your stories and get invested and um and you can make you know amazing friends through it and like people like connect with like minds and get people to read your work and give you honest feedback and find other people you like. That just that sort of network, that ecology of, of fandom just doesn't exist in in profic um and that's really the, where the joy of it is for me uh, yeah i i couldn't agree more i think that's that's uh, a lot of the joy i get out of it it's just interacting with other writers and readers and it's just the best and that's why i'm so happy to be able to talk to talk about it out loud um mm-hmm. with talented writers such as yourself and <laughs> um that's kind of been the aim of this whole podcast thing it's like we just, we love it so much and it takes up so much of our, so many hours of our day in some cases and, and yet we don't talk about it. And so I appreciate you 
having the taking the time and the energy to come on and talk about your fanfic and fanfic experience uh, with me. So thank you so much. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Let's see. So I'll I will link um, like your AO3 profile um, in the show notes. Is there um, anywhere else that people can find you that they should know about? Uh, my Tumblr, just uh, Prince of Elsinore, Tumblr.com. Um, that's pretty much the only place I'm fandom active these days. Uh, or you can, I, I don't actually know all that well how Discord works, but I guess you, one can find me on there too. You, you can message me or something. <laughs> Tumblr's probably the safest bet though. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I suppose if people want to interact with you on Discord, they can always message you on Tumblr and yeah, yeah, that see works. where you're at and all that good stuff. And is there is there uh, anything that we should look forward to next for me? Are you working on any pieces right now that we should keep our eyes peeled for? Um, I'm taking a little break from thick writing right now. I've got some big original projects I'm working on, but I, I do have some like thick aspirations. There's actually, I really would like to write another fill for the um wanted man challenge we'll see if i get around to that but um a couple of the ideas i have are more in the horror genre which is something i i really enjoy um so i'm hoping to try out my hand at a horror fic or two um and we'll see we'll see what else i don't know well awesome well uh Give all those all, all the folks out there listening. Hopefully, there's a few of you. Um, we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. And please, uh, a lot of people, if you don't yet, a lot of these authors uh, subscribe to them on Ao3 because then when they publish a fic, you'll get a notification. So I do that with all my favorite authors. So um, please do that. And um, thank you so much, Elsie, for being here and talking fanfic with me today. Thank you, Sarah. It was a pleasure.